Thanks for downloading this episode of On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at ontherecord, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com. You probably can't even believe that there's a new episode of this show. It's been, I don't know how long it's been, maybe six months, but uh, I'm Eric Schwartzman. And I'm Andrea Vachelari. And we're just winding down Le Web 2012. It's my third time at Le Web. I think it's mine fourth or fifth or, yeah, I remember somewhere there. Right, because the first time I came, you recommended it and helped yeah. me get invited as an official blogger. Yeah. And, um, and I've been coming since then and also using it as an opportunity to bring my wife and son to Paris and have some fun. Yeah. And so anyways, here we are. And uh, we just had a little petit déjeuner and we thought we would uh, strike up the recording device and do a little podcast of, uh, with a download of what the major findings from the web 2012 were. So... How do you how do you feel being back online with on the record online? Well, you know it's funny. I I, um, I took this uh, Google Analytics course, this advanced Google Analytics course, and it gave me new insight into how people use the podcast and really what the value of that audience is to my business. Um, you know, I always got a lot of value from doing the podcast because it gave me the opportunity to talk with really smart people like you about important issues. And, and so it was a learning opportunity for me. And I, and I still do get that when I do the podcast because I get to talk to smart people and learn from them. But when I looked at the traffic and um, sort of the value of that traffic, whether or not they were bouncing, conversions, I looked at the traffic's impact on the book sales and I compared it to the impact of my blog, which I'm not that aggressive with, but I blog periodically. And I just found, you know, for the amount of time I was spending on the podcast versus the blog, I was getting so much more return from the blog traffic because it's not as invested of an audience. And like I talk, I, I run into guys who listen, like us, guys like us who listen to this podcast, you know, are in our industry. And I, it's kind of like, you know, it's great because people in our industry want to hear it, but it didn't, it didn't feel like it was helping me from a marketing business standpoint for my own personal business. And and also with the new things that I'm involved with, I just didn't have, didn't have as much time. So that's why I've been pod fading. Uh, but here's the thing, though. I mean, podcasting, if you think about it, kind of, you know, it was born as a niche thing. You know, it was just for gigs or people that have worked like uh, us in the communication industry and were experimenting, testing new communication channels, right? But now, if you look at what's going on and look at Apple, you know, they came out with this new app. They're trying, you know, they changed iTunes. They're trying to um, uh, highlight a little bit more podcasting. So do you think that... Um, Maybe you are pod fading or you see different stats, different return on investment because you kept investing time and energy and resource until this point from that initial perspective as a niche, you know, uh, tactic, maybe. Perhaps. You want to get, and maybe now it won't fade away. It won't be, you know, lost podcasting I'm talking about. Uh, but probably is a new, the beginning of a new uh, age for podcasts. Could be. I mean, you look at guys like, you know, uh, Shell Holtz and Neville Hobson with yeah. FIR. I mean, they've got a solid show. You know, you look at Martin Waxman with Inside PR. Sure. Um, you know, those are still niche shows. Those are solid shows. I mean, when I have the time and I listen to those shows, I get something out of it every time. Uh, but then, on the other hand, you know, you have mainstream media repurposing itself as a podcast for delivery. Mm-hmm. And if you look on iTunes, even though there is now a new app for podcasts on um, iOS 6, even though there is that, if you look at the, the programs that they highlight, they're all mainstream media programs. Oh, I, like I agree with that. I agree NPR. With that. Um, you know, uh, Fareed Zakaria, you know, all these major powerhouse media brands. And, of course, you know, by displaying the brands front and center, 
Apple can push more hardware because you have another way to time shift and place shift audio media. Let's face it, there is and never has been a TiVo for radio. So yeah. that's what and it lo- is. Looking at the data that you analyze and you, 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 know, you, you check, looking at on, on the record online, is there some trend or something that you notice and maybe, you know, till now maybe you didn't pay attention and say, oh, well, you know, audience, there is, yeah. the audience is changing. Maybe I should move in this direction. No, no, that's not the thing. I mean, for on the record online, you know, at, at our peak, and, and we'll probably be the same for this year because the... Um, program is feature-oriented, so a lot of the interviews people download, even though they're not timely anymore. But, I mean, we were doing, last year we did, um, last year being 2012, we did a million downloads across all shows, because all shows are up. I don't just put a few shows on the feed. Um, So that's that's pretty big numbers. Um, But, um, you know, it's, when I look at uh, whether or not that traffic actually converts through to paying customers with respect to book sales or with respect to uh, attendance at, um, at at conferences that I do, I didn't really see it. I mean, at the, on the one hand, you know, I, I was invited to write this book, uh, uh, Social Marketing the Business Customer, by Paul Gillen because he was a listener. So I, I, I'd love to meet Paul one day. I, I just, that alone uh, <laughs> makes the podcast worthwhile. Yeah, now, Paul's absolutely. got a new book, um, a new book out. And I'll come up with the title as we're talking. But the reason we want to do this podcast today is not just because we're going to sit here and absolutely yeah. we're drawn on. We are actually going to give you a um, report of what happened at LeWeb yeah. this year. And uh, I know you, Kate, there were a few things you wanted to uh, uh, talk about. Um, starting with the opening keynote, mm-hmm. which is pretty interesting. There was a, she was there before. Yeah. What was her name again? Ariel Garden. Ariel Gardner, I think. Yeah, CEO yeah. of Interaction. Or yeah, yeah, I, I think that's her. right. I mean, <clears throat> she was a, a neurologist. Or? I think they, uh, she's been there on the web before, like during like previous editions. She was talking about the research they were doing and all that. But this year, they came out with this new product. Actually, they, they launched it on stage. And the name of the product is Muse, M-U-S-E. And it's very, very interesting, actually. So let's, before I'm going to say something more about this, you know, we should say that the theme of uh, the web this year was the Internet of Things. Okay, so uh, this kind of sets the context of the event, okay? And uh, so Muse, this new product that, that, that was launched, <clears throat> what is it? Well, it's about thought-controlled computing. What does that mean? Well, this is a device that basically you wear uh, here and on, on, your, in your, on your head, and it has some sensors, okay? And this device basically analyzes brain waves. And uh, the interesting thing, and they have um, showed how it works, on stage, <laughs> so she she got Loic uh, Loic Lemire uh, sitting next to her, and he was wearing this device, and uh, they did a little test, a little experiment. So basically, how does it work? The device uh, analyzes in all the the brain waves and uh, basically interacts with something else that, in this case, was um, you know an email. <laughs> so Loic was writing an email wearing this device. And while he was writing it, the device was tracking the way he was feeling about what he was writing. And so the font of the email changed in size and, and, and color and, you know, shapes and according to the way he was feeling. Now, obviously, this is just an example, but what I thought was very interesting uh, was that, well, now we're just at the beginning, and I think that the use of this kind of new technologies applied for, if you think about advertising, okay, or about other targeted communication channels, you know, how we as communicators or even brands or industries can um, interact with people based on their emotion, with based on their feelings in certain contexts, I think it's, it's pretty, pretty interesting. And the advantages of, of this, of thought-controlled computing, if you will, are, are different. But I, what I liked and what I thought about is self-discovery. So understanding more about you, yourself, your brain activity, and the way you feel and react in certain situations. Kind of like um, Fitbit, but for your brain. Yeah. As, it could be as a consumer. It could be as, you know, um, in... in um, but 
think of this also I don't know for for uh, healthcare, okay, or for um, sport or for even gaming. Uh, um, so, uh, and the other one is basically adding context to the human context. Okay, so if we take these examples, um, uh, think about uh, gaming. Okay, this was a little game they played on stage with Loic, but imagine wearing one of these devices while you're playing something or you are doing some trainings for your team. Uh, and involving, you know, gamification, if we want to bring that in, or gaming components, and you can uh, basically uh, track and understand how your team is feeling under certain kind, certain situations. Could be stressful, could, could be a crisis, could be a, a brainstorming of it, and you know, interact with it. Okay, and I do think now these are obviously just ideas and thoughts. We because we don't have any case studies, we. Certain, the product will, I believe it will launch earlier well no next spring you can pre-order it but these are just thoughts that you know came to my mind and I, and I think it's it's going to be very 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 interesting um, and I, if I'm not mistaken they will come out also with an open um, with an open API and that's a great move <laughs> so we, I think we'll see a lot of interesting ideas coming out of this yeah, it was an interesting demo. So, you know, the week sits up there and he types an email yeah. on just using Gmail to his wife and they put it up on the screen and we're watching it. And, you know, this thing that he's wearing, he still has to type with his fingers, but what this thing that sort of a headband that he's wearing does <laughs> is uses his the alpha waves from his brain, senses them, and then, you know, styles the font, you know, chooses a font, italicizes it, underlines it, bolds it. To try to give some emotional context to the email. And, you know, based on what he was writing, and I, I don't want to poo-poo it because <laughs> I, I think it's probably a huge discovery on the path to something significant. I agree. But this technology in and of itself, to me, kind of failed because when he was writing this email to Geraldine in front of everybody at the web... It was styling the, the 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 text as he wrote, and I didn't I didn't it didn't feel to me as though but, but, it was um, accurately expressing his emotion based on true the text. And I agree hundred percent. But so that, I think we're a long <laughs> way from from the death of XOXO. Sure. You know, sure. I mean, if I put XOXO in a text or in an email. That's kind of a way of saying, you know what, everything's cool, we're not in a fight, <laughs> it's all happy. And, and so I think that's those sort of emoticons, it's, it's going to be a long way before thought-controlled uh, computing replaces them. However, I do think this is probably a very important, significant first step in getting to somewhere bigger than XOXO. But did you feel the same or did you notice like people feeling the same, for example, when QR codes came out and say, what the hell is this? I mean, do we really have to scan this and, is, you know, QR codes, these little rectangular or, you know, square uh, barcodes? Well, I mean, there's As, still a big still, problem with those. You know, I mean, until, until there are those are baked also into good the camera. Ideas. Yeah. But you know? now I think with the, what is the name of that app that came out with Apple? Um, I don't remember, but it comes with the new iOS 6. You have an embedded, let's say, QR reader, you know, in your phone. But here's the thing, like, there has been a lot of um, of talking about that, you know, whether how effective could be, you know, in terms of technology. Or think about Twitter as well, right? When he came out, you say, oh, why should I say what I'm up to? <laughs> because the first Twitter came out, you have, you know, this little tag and text that was saying, what are you up to? Or what, you know, and people were just saying, hey, I'm taking a shower, I'm having lunch here and there. But this communication channel turned in, evolved, you know. So I think now we have a very, uh, you know, a new seed has been planted. And now we'll see, you know, where people, a society will take it. I think that's exciting. Uh, is it in itself now? I agree. Probably it's not. But there is potential, I think. And I hope, I hope that, you know, there will be a, a little bit more thinking, you know, before, um, uh, for brands uh, at least, you know, before throwing and jump on it, you uh, know, without thinking too much, actually, <laughs> using the smart way. So interestingly enough, the second keynote right after Errol Garten of Interaction was uh, Benjamin Sitchi, and he's the chief software engineer at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, also known as JPL, which led the software team uh, behind the Mars rover. 
and he basically gave a case study of you know building what really was the most distant connected object to the internet you know, ever in our world. And he also talked about how different countries all contributed components to the NASA uh, to the to the Mars rover. Um, you know, there was uh, contributions from Spain, from Russia, all over the world, different uh, objects or, or different um, um, c- uh, components of the robot were created to analyze different aspects of, of the planet. So we talked sort of about that, you know, the harmony of bringing together disparate uh, uh, people with disparate um, objectives into one, uh, to achieving one goal. And then he also, um, you know, talked, most of the, his, his speech was about how difficult it was to take this device and, and get it placed on the Earth, uh, on, on the surface of Mars, without breaking it. Um, it was, you know, just absolutely the most complex uh, <laughs> set of challenges you could imagine, and they were able to pull it off and, and, and get the, uh, the robot down, the Mars rover down on the planet. And he ended it with a really nice... Um, theme, basically what he said is, uh, we humans uh, like to explore. He said, exploration is a fundamental human trait. And so then he said to everyone, because, you know, most of the people out of the web are startups or uh, digital technology businesses that are trying to grow their customer base, find new uh, distribution channels. He said, how can you fan the fames of exploration and curiosity. And I, I, for me, I was very uplifting and uh, I, I, was, I was turned on by it. And I thought, you know, that, that's something that the week does really well. You know, he sort of figures out not just what's interesting from a business concept, but what's, what, what's going to get you passionate, what's going to get you emotional, what's going to inspire you. And he brings in these sort of, you know, speeches which aren't really on the beaten path, but which sort of give you a fresh perspective, a new way of looking at old problems. And that's that's what I got from Benjamin Sitchi's talk. Yeah. And I think I have to let it marinate a little bit more <laughs> to add something to it. But I had the same, I had the same feeling. Um, uh, even at, at first, even if it's not like directly related, I'd say, you know, to our industry... Uh, I, I'm sure that one day while I take a shower, I'll, I will connect the dots and, you know, um, plug it. And, and uh, that's at least how it works for me. <laughs> yeah, he said um, on the night of the mission, uh, the rover site had 1.8 billion hits right. and uh, unique visits from almost every corner of the Earth. So it's interesting how, you know, something like... Space exploration just brings everybody together behind a common goal. There's an interesting saying, I think it's an Old Testament saying, um, and it, it says, um, me and my brother against my cousin, but me, okay. my brother, and my cousin against the outsider. <laughs> so, interesting how a yeah. common goal unifies people. So deep, yeah. Eric, you're so deep. <laughs> Oh man! Uh, you know what? What else? I liked also uh, Ben Gomez, the vice president and Google fellow at, at Google, and uh, <clears throat> he talked about something very interesting. Actually, I like he captured my attention immediately with his first slide. Very clean, very simple, very minimal, and there was just one uh, <coughs> excuse me one thing written on it, and uh, it was this. He said, "The world is made of." Uh, things, not strings. Strings referring to search strings, okay? That was very interesting because um, it kind of showed a little bit their philosophy, their thinking behind search and why they keep uh, improving Google and their algorithm and, you know, in, in and they're moving in a certain direction. And I thought, you know, it was just amazing. And it, not a, looking at Google and the way it functions, I can see a lot of that and I can see you know, it answered a lot of questions I had, um, and it make it actually. Um, I, I I have to say I think they are one step ahead compared to other search engines. There is seriously some work at Google. I I, I didn't imagine they were doing it. It was very very impressive. So the takeaways. <clears throat> so it, he, first of all, he explained a little bit how uh, they translated this thinking, you know, into the actual product, you know, of their search engine. 
So, um, yeah, the world is made of things and not of strings. You know, when we think about the search engine, we think, okay, I need to search this, I don't know, telephone, and I search uh, best telephone, you know, whatever I'm looking for. But what they are thinking is, okay, this is about phone, okay? It's not about actually the string that people use to uh, get to that element in the end. So they sort of started to create a big database of things. And he kind of listed uh, some numbers. And uh, so they created some sort of grid database with uh, somewhere around 70 million elements. And between these elements, they um, were able to track connection uh, connections between these uh, things in a graph. And he mentioned that there are something like 18 billion connections with this within this. So it's very, very, um, it's a graph that it keeps growing, of course, and um, uh, the information they're using to fill this graph is coming from uh, Wikipedia, catalogs, databases. So they're pulling in the information that then they're going to serve, you know, in Google, you know, from, from all this data that is already there. But they are categorizing it, you know, uh, into things. And uh, what's the end result? Well, when you're gonna search from now on, and of course they're gonna keep improving it, something on Google, let's say I'm gonna search for Frank Lloyd Wright, okay? So I'm gonna find out, uh, yeah, it was an architect, and or you know, it did this, this, and that, but at the same time, the results that are gonna show up uh, will be more rich. So I will find out also exactly what he designed, how, where, you know, they will start to bring in elements about that thing that I was searching for. And it's going to make it smarter, let's right, say. Right, right. So, um, that's they the... They call it the knowledge graph. The knowledge graph. The knowledge graph. And using the knowledge graph to deliver improved results to natural language processing. Exactly. And the, the other interesting thing I thought about that was this. And I think this is very interesting, you know, from the communication standpoint. Because they the location, the location component. So... What does it mean? Uh, if you look at the results that come, you know, from a Google search, uh, well, they're going to be, um, let's say, uh, they, they will change according to the location. Let's say I'm searching for a word or a thing and uh, or term in Google. Well, it can have a different meaning in the U.S., in Australia, in Japan, even if it's the same term, maybe. You know, that's a language thing and it's a communication issue. So they're also trying to address this. You know, uh, and I, th I thought that uh, was very, very interesting uh, and very, very powerful. Um, uh, the biggest challenge, though, <laughs> that you say they're facing, you know, is to organize the information, you know, in this big database at the end. Uh, so I think um, we will see a lot coming from Google and, you know, certainly a better product and, um, um, you know, as, as a communicator and as, as a as a strategist, I, I think, you know, uh, looking not just now, but also in the long long run, I think, uh, well, they will stick around and <laughs> we'll definitely have a, a, a more interesting product, I would say, that will help us. Uh, what's your take on that? Well, I, I, I think you're right. I think search is definitely going to get smarter, but... You know, I'm thinking about the presentations that both Twitter and Facebook gave, and, you know, they're certainly, you know, neck and neck, vying with, with Google for, uh, you know, the, the place people go for answers to questions. Um, so I'll just give you a brief summary uh, of the Twitter and the Facebook presentations. Uh, Katie Stanton, who's the VP of International Market Development from Twitter, um, shared a few recent numbers with Twitter. She said, um, well, first of all, this would be interesting to the web because the web is in Paris. Uh, she said Twitter uh, had 300% growth in tweets in France. So in terms of the number of, you know, the volume of tweets, 300% growth for the year and 150% account growth for the year. So, uh, you know, certainly more adoption in France. Um, she also then gave some global numbers. She said uh, on Twitter, 60% of users pr produce tweets and 40% of users listen. And I mean, I, I know that's true because I know like my wife follows the Twitter feeds of all the 
uh, um, museums. And she likes to follow the Met. She follows the Los Angeles County Museum of Art. You know, if she spoke French, she'd probably follow the Louvre. I don't know if they have a, an English language feed. If, if you do and you're listening, tweet <laughs> me up and let me know because it make me a hero with my life. <laughs> on to that. But she has never sent a tweet. Okay. And she uses Twitter. She's on it probably a few times a week, checking out what's going on. And uh, then, you know, she if she gets some anything advertising related, she's disgusted and you know, <laughs> unfollows that person immediately. Um, the other thing um, she shared, this was kind of her, her big, uh, her punchline. This is what I think she was trying to drive home with the audience there. So on these promoted tweets, which we're seeing right at the top of uh, our, our, our news feed for, on the, the home screen for, you know, extended periods of time now, um, she was basically saying that Twitter is seeing engagement rates of between 1% and 3% with promoted tweets versus traditional media, which is, she said, 0.5%. But what do they track? The clicks. And so I guess the engagement rate is, you know, who actually clicks through. And compared to traditional media, I refer to... Through, um, referring to radio, TV, or this kind of stuff? Or, well, I mean, I guess I mean, <laughs> maybe you should have been the one up on stage inter- yeah, interviewing When I hear this stuff, than, these stats yeah. are definitely interesting, but I'm thinking, yep. how can you really compare Good the point. two, you Good know, point. if the context is, you know, different? <laughs> Good point. Um, and she was also talking, she was, you know, pretty much talking about growing the user base and, and building the platform internationally. And she was followed directly by Peter Deng, who's the director of product management at Facebook, who was interviewed by David Kirkpatrick. And um, it was a pretty interesting little session. Um, you know, Peter Deng, obviously a very uh, seasoned uh, programmer, uh, seemed fairly young, didn't seem like he'd had a lot of experience up on stage being, uh, you know, cross-examined by someone like David Kirkpatrick. I, I agree on that, yeah. I uh, so he seemed a little wet behind the ears, but I thought he did a good job. And um, he shared a couple of things. The first thing he said, uh, which I thought was pretty impressive, um, was that 6% of teens send email daily, uh, but 63% of teens send text daily. And he followed that up by saying that Facebook Messenger is now going to be available to people without Facebook accounts. So, you know, they're taking a direct swipe at, uh, you know, Skype and AOL Messenger. I mean, they're getting into the Messenger business. Now, just to sort of uh, counterbalance this with a dose of, uh, of realism, they also said they were going to have email a while back. And we were all excited, but that never really took off either. But I think it's interesting because... I mean, here they are with, I think, what, 40%? How much of the world do they have on, on Facebook? Well, I think they're, no, they broke the, the billion already. How many people on the planet? Uh, around 6 million. So, so what? So, so you know, almost 12% of, or, or I'm not great at math. <laughs> One sixth. Like a sixth <laughs> of, the, of the population. And now they're trying to go broader? I mean, I don't get it. I mean, do you think that, uh, you know, their, their bigness ultimately becomes their undoing? I think what's going to make them survive is going to be... Well, they, they have to remain what supports social interaction. You know, they don't have to fall in the trap of actually focus too much and going too deep in actually creating a product more specific than that. You know, we, we heard so many rumors like the, the Facebook phone and this and that and, of course, email and that. I mean, I think... I. I I think people, uh, and we as well, are, we are talking about this because we try to find maybe a certain meaning, you know, behind this uh, decisions they're taking at strategic level. Uh, but I, I don't think I don't think they will they will um, they will they will come up with anything specific. Also, in this case, about messaging, they will just put it there, be the the channel for social interaction on mobile because that's what they're looking at now. They are lacking a lot on mobile. And they're definitely focused more attention, but they, I don't, I'm not sure we'll see anything more than that. I mean, he actually said we're a mobile company. That's inter- that's that grabbed my attention too. Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, they, they look at themselves as a mobile company. So now. you know, I think, but they will. I I think what they're what they're thinking is translating what they did for the web and the desktop experience translated to mobile, but leave it there and 
again, leaving it open for developers to keep creating and building on that uh, new DNA, mobile DNA for social interaction. But I don't think that that will go further than that. Is it just me, or are you having a problem viewing Instagrammed photos on the Facebook mobile app? Um, what kind of, what kind of problems you? Well, every time I try to view a photo that someone has either commented or liked on the Facebook mobile app, when I tap on that notification, it just comes up with a blank screen. Really? No. I Any don't. Instagram photo at all. The other interesting thing that happened to me over the course of the conference, but it only happened once, and it happened. I checked it, and it did happen. I, I put an at mention in an Instagrammed photo caption and tried to push it through to Twitter, and Twitter stripped out the at mention. So the username of the Twitter user was still in the tweet, but the at symbol was gone and it was not clickable. When I tried to repeat it the next day, it did work. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure why it didn't come through, but I know there are some competitive issues arising now. Yeah. I mean, it used to be so free and open, right? Yeah. Everything was so open and easy. Not well, so you know, open these days, <laughs> is it? <laughs> it's all social capital. I mean, Facebook bought it, uh, bought Instagram. For, what, what is it that's astonishing? Uh, billion. Billion dollars. A billion dollars. And, and Zuckerberg came out in the TechCrunch interview yeah. at TechCrunch Disrupt and said, we bought them for the talent. They did such a good job integrating mobile with our platform. But I also think they bought it for social capital. You know, they It's a worry to retain people and have them on your platform ultimately. I, they're living with, with ads, Facebook. You know, it, That's what they need ultimately. They need a good experience. I'm not talking about the fact, yeah, unbelievable. Instagram, very good product. But it's also the people and the potential that you know grew in that niche about photography that translated you know on a, and that planted on a much bigger field, Facebook, well, then boomed. I mean, the, the I don't remember the exact numbers now, but Instagram since you know was bought by Facebook, you know, right? You know, like grew. I don't know. I don't know much, but crazy about growth. I mean, and, so you know, managing the scale of growth, you know, that's the hardest thing with a small business. As it grows, how do you maintain the integrity of the culture that you started with? And one of the things Peter Dang spoke about of Facebook, which I thought was kind of cool, he said, you know, he basically gives talks every Monday morning to new hires because not only do they have to grow their company, but they have to scale the company and preserve, you know, the culture from the standpoint of products, engineering, and vision. And he said, you know, it really doesn't matter what department you're in. Everyone needs to be on the same page. And that's really what we're all about, right? That's what communications is all about keeping everyone on the same page. And you know, I, I'm playing with this idea, um, and as you know, I'm, I'm very in, involved in online training now. I've got this online social media boot camp. Um, Super and, high class training. <laughs> and I was thinking about um, you know, keeping everyone on the same page, what that takes. You know, how do you do that? And, and, and the one example I can find in business where they do this so well is the franchising business. I mean, imagine this. You're going to open a, and I'm not a big fan, but you're going to open a McDonald's in some distant part of the world, and you want it to be the same as every other McDonald's. You have to somehow preserve that culture. Now, I'm not saying it's a good culture. I'm not saying that I prefer Big Macs to foie gras, okay? But what I am saying is there's something really remarkable about putting together a brand and then rolling it out. And I see a lot of similarities between how they do franchising and how we ought to be doing social media communications. Because as we invite people to these conversations on behalf of organizations, we all want them to represent similar characteristics. And I really think, you know, as we get into the fabric of social business, not social marketing, not social media communications, but social business, where everybody in the organization is using these channels. Let's face it, I mean, they're not going to be able to afford to bring in a guy like you or a guy like me to train the customer service department or the retail staff. Somehow you're going to have to scale this, and I think online, online training is going to be the way to do that, which is you know, why I'm so, so bullish in that direction right now. I agree 150%. Yeah. I'm like, I, it's difficult to answer anything to what you said. You kind of read my mind. So, yeah, I, I agree 100% on that. Yeah, like, 
thinking of anyway, looking at that, um, what what would you what was your overall feeling? I mean, uh, you know, damn, look, looking at the web like this year, looking at how things are changing, evolving, companies and in industry, people. You know how people are changing. What was I mean, it? Seems like I don't know. Maybe maybe we've <laughs> arrived. I mean, at least us in our little bubble. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure you know. You and I are going to go back to. We're all going to go back to our, our families for holidays, and we're going to wind up visiting with grandma and mom and dad and auntie Sally, and they're completely. I mean, they're going to look at us like we're you know cyborgs. <laughs> but I think in our little bubble, it uh-huh. seems like. We Pretty much, we're pretty much there, and there's no doesn't seem to be any really big ideas. I mean, even Brian Solis, who I got to tell you, I have tremendous respect for. I mean, I see him as like you know a pinnacle thought leader. I really respect the guy, but even him, man, he was really reaching. You know, there wasn't really any big meaty realization you could put on the table. I mean, it seems like we pretty much arrived. Brian's talk, Brian's keynote, it felt like well outstanding because like. He is an awesome speaker and uh, a great friend and a great person. Now, what I what I think was, what what I what I felt, you know, was like, okay, he's someone that did years of research. Now, with Ultimate, again, they're keep they keep digging deeper and deeper and deeper, and they're trying to take all these lessons that we learned. And contextualize them, and try to define new paths, you know, new trends that probably we should pay attention to. And the human or human API, you know, he was talking about, um, probably is one of these trends. But it's very, very young as a concept. It's still difficult to to, to I don't know to to touch. At least for me, you know what I mean? It's still up there. It's difficult. Uh... I don't know. I mean, for me, you know, the human API thing, I think it's really fascinating. I, to me, it's more of a neurological or mm-hmm. psychological discussion, yeah. probably based in that type of science. Um, I remember when, when Jeremiah came, mm. you know, the year before, he pretty much he, he based his talk on a specific research paper that they had just put out which was the future of social business. And that was really um, interesting to the to the audience because there's a lot of social media consultants out there. Yeah. And they, Jeremiah was pretty much saying, hey, here's where you're going to find your work for the next year. Yeah. So, I mean, that was really useful. Everyone was right on him. And I think it was really courageous of Brian to not go with research because he could have. There's a million reports. He could have just top-lined yeah. and done yeah. that. That's he true. didn't. He said, That's you know true. what? I'm going to go big <clears throat> idea. That's true. And he did. And um, But I'll tell you, for me, you know... I don't, I'm not, it's not Brian's fault, but there was really nobody on the stage that really sparked my, you know, got me lifted. I would say the, 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 the most inspirational talks I heard had very little to do with our business. It was the guy from JPL yeah. who talked about the Mars rover, the guy from Charity Water who really had no business being there. I mean, it, it was not connected at all to the theme of the show. But, Great, but yeah, he was fantastic, and yeah. he was moving, and I w- and he was inspirational, and I loved hearing him. But I would say the most inspirational thing I heard was from Barack Berkowitz at a dinner party that Chris Hewer set up. Oh, that and Barack I, Berkowitz is yeah, yeah. the former CEO of Six Apart. Uh, Six Apart. Yeah, and I was there talking to him about my new company, my new online training company. He was like coaching me and sort of schooling me on. Decisions I should be making at this early stage, and that to me was, you know, the vault. So even if, which you have to remember, even if the stage isn't on fire, um, I still did get a lot of useful information that kept me sort of up to date. And the networking is, for me, I think better networking at this show than anywhere else in the world. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I'll tell you why. As a Yankee, okay, uh-huh. as an American. Yeah. So in America, when you go to a show. People are aggressive, man. They're all over you, right? They don't do that here. People are cooler. You know, they're more reserved. It's, you're not, your, your value and self-worth is not entirely based on your earning potential. Partially, but not as much as in the U.S. So, and plus it's a smaller show and there's a very high level of attendee. So, I mean, the opportunity to network and elbow, uh, rub elbows with, you know, the top folks in the industry uh, digital technology industry is second to none. You can't really get this good, close level of networking in at South by Southwest because it's just too big. Mm-hmm. So you can do a lot of sort of short, 
informal, you know, but in terms of really, you know, spend some time with somebody and, and get to know them. For me, I've, I've had the opportunity to do that at this show better than any other show I've attended. No, I, I was shocked to, <laughs> as a European, because, you know, uh, I'm European, even though I work also in the U.S. Like, to me, the first time I came to the U.S., it was shocking. Because I was an Italian, and I wasn't even attending there. I mean, I was invited in New York for the Web2 Expo. I went there. And, I mean, I don't know how they got my email, but I started to get bombarded even before the event with this pushing messages. You don't even know who I am. You don't. I, I never met you, and it was so aggressive. And when I got there as well... It, it was, to me, it, it felt a bit fake, you know, because I, I felt it was just about, I, I felt like a walking dollar bill, <laughs> a walking credit card. And that to me was very sad. Um, so uh, it's not just, a, a, and this is one of the problems also with, to the, with marketing today. There is a lot of marketers that just big, aim at big numbers, you know, we got to have a ton of leads. But if you look at the actual conversion rates that we have, I think the number is ridiculous. You know, if we have to have one customer out of 100 that you actually at this point bother, you know, it's just something is not working. You know what I mean? And, uh, but yeah, I mean, so I, I think it's, uh, I'm, uh, I don't know, I have a different, different point of view on this. I, I, I always try to be very um, human and honest and, uh, you know, uh, meet like-minded people, like-minded client, and then we will find a way eventually if that's his destiny and we, we, you know, I can offer you my skill and you need them, we'll end up working together. But that is not the first thing you think about. And so that's why I believe you feel different when you come here. Conference events in Europe is not maybe probably just what I feel. And I don't want to say everyone, everybody in Europe thinks the way I do. Right. But anyway. Yeah, I mean, the, the, yeah. the, the um, strategy, you know, the U.S. marketer at a trade show is, you know, how can we pin down the trade show attendees, dissect them. No, you can have the liver. I'll take the pancreas. No, no, it's, it's, you can have the heart. You know what, you know what I did? Do you know what I did? This, this lay web? I, you know, I realized one thing. I met, I work in, I've worked in this industry for years, okay? And I keep seeing the same people, you know, other communicators or clients as well uh, or partners every time. And I, what I realized that then I go back home and when I, what I have are just nice new stories about late projects, last projects and new things you're doing, but I still don't know you. I still don't know why you're working, you know, why you're doing it. And I, for me, that is important. Do you well, know what's what? interesting? You know, what you're saying, I live, I don't work. I mean, I live this life, you know, I wasn't born to work. I was born to live it. And I do my work as a part of what I do, in my, you know, every day to keep going on and have a wonderful time on this planet and this life. Here's the thing. So what I did, I took my business cards and <laughs> before coming, to, this is actually a tip for the listeners. And I would suggest, encourage you to try this and test with it. So I took um, my business cards I printed new business card and I left some white space on part of the business card so I could write on them. And before going to the web, I have created a secret page, a secret URL page, which is not indexed, okay? And uh, I gave that URL, I wrote that URL on my business card when I met someone interesting that sincerely I thought on a human level and then eventually professional, was worth my attention and, you know, my consideration. If not to work, at least, you know, to connect to. And uh, in the, on this page, I... <laughs> yeah, here I'm a business card. You can check them out. But they're all black now. You won't see anything right, uh, right on them. And uh, so w what I did uh, on this page, I have put a little PDF, a simple brochure you can download. And this PDF basically tells you 10 things that you may or may not know about me. And out of these 10, only one tells you about what I do for a living, about my company, my job, you know, my consulting. And the other nine are things that you probably don't know about me. Like, so give us one. Why I, have, your... why I have long hair. Okay, why? You'll find out if you meet me or if we 
you get back to me, listen to this. Where do we have to go? Tell us. Uh, okay, you can. I may, I might change the URL, so you better get in touch with me personally at on Twitter. Oh, sorry, it's Twitter. Uh, my Twitter ID is Vashelari, which I'm going to spell that. <laughs> it's V A S C E L L A R I. Or, you know, if I'm a way to connect with me on my personal website, from which you will get also my company website, but my personal website is andrevashelari.com. So it's A N D R E A V A S C E L L A R I.com. And get in touch with me. And then I'm going to, you know, send you that PDF. <laughs> Um, and 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 what I realized, you know, when I when I gave this card and I told people this thing, you know, they were like, "Oh, okay," you know, and they they they, I've noticed several people have put that card, the my business card, somewhere else, like maybe in their wallet. They saved it, you know. They didn't put it with all the other cards, and they said um, when we had that dinner with Chris Ewer and. and a lot of people as well say, this is the first business card I'm going to check and I'm going to look, you know, more for you when I'm going to get home. And to me, that clicked. You know, there was something that clicked. And on top of that, you can really go crazy. You know, I I, I, I have other other things I did I to make it even more human and personal. The, all the, the, the business card I printed, I printed a rainbow colors on the back with the URL of my company. And the first thing I said... I opened the business card uh, box and I say, choose your favorite color. So I could immediately see, you know, and understand something about the person. And once they choose it, I, I know, I, 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 I write this on the back. And, uh, and I don't know, it, 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 I think it was very, very interesting. The URL, actually, is just a final hidden URL. But what I did, and here's a little trick for you listeners, if you want to play around with it. You can write or on your HT uh, access file, and if you don't know what it is, get in touch with me and explain you everything about it. And you can set a series of redirect instructions so that, um, let's say, I could uh, say um, itiv.net, my company, slash uh, hello. <laughs> and that is going to redirect you to the actual secret page. But I could put something else. I could put Paris, I could put the web, I could put anything. Or I could put things. Uh, keywords, okay, of ideal people or customers that I'm trying to target, so that I make I'm gonna make memorable that moment in which we met, and and I, I think you know uh, people got this, and um, again I I I have several other uh, case experiments I did in my in my career in my life, and I, but this is what I think it's missing in today's uh, industry. To me, we're more. Th- had more value those few people I met and the way we connected to um, than all the rest of you know probably I don't know pointless lists that I could have talked to Uh, yeah I saw that I remember when you were I saw you write that down when you gave a card to somebody it's interesting because um, what what Brian spoke about was that Brian Solis he, he said you know look we're we're in this age now you know with the internet of things where there's just so much. Everything emits data. There's so much information out there. You've got to find a way to sort the signal from the noise. One way you did it is with personal attention. Um, what Brian, the question Brian asked to the audience was, you know, not, you know, what do you do, but how do you somehow enable a lifestyle? Uh, how do you design products based on the experiences they create? You know, because life is about creating and living experiences that are worth sharing. You know, it's interesting because it's a, it's a progression for him. He went from shareable moments to this idea of creating and living experiences that are worth sharing. Um, for those of you who are, uh, um, you know, uh, fans of Brian, and I have been, you know, he went through this whole period where he talked about, you know, how do brands create these shareable moments? And now he's sort of evolved it to, you know, how do you as a developer of a product or even a marketer, you know, create an experience that's worth sharing. Um, and then he came up with, he sort of wrapped it up and said, you know, how can you become an experience architect? You know, how can you create an experience that people want to share? Um, so I guess maybe I gave him a short stick at the early, early beginning of the podcast because I said I didn't really get much. Of it. I guess that is a pretty big idea. A different way of looking at the same thing he's been saying, but certainly inspirational. Yeah, absolutely. I liked uh, one thing I liked about the web is that this time they had um well there were there was uh, the main main track you know with all 
main keynotes, but they had also a social business track where they had presentations and keynotes and workshops and more focusing more on the communication industry, strategic online marketing and PR. And um, I like very much Mike Volpe or Volpe, yeah, as you would say in American English. Yeah, um, he's good. He's CMO of uh, HubSpot. And he talked a lot about, you know, this. Had you heard him before? It was the first time you heard him? I, it's the first time I met him in the real world. We had a very nice chat, a little meeting after, you know, his his keynote. Um, and also he was talking about, you know, the fact of humanizing a little bit, you know, marketing as well. And, uh, you know, we could talk about this for hours, but great guy. Very, very interesting. Very, very smart, uh, smart person. <laughs> he liked this um <laughs> tactic or strategy of mine of using business card in a more meaningful way and but um all in all i like that about the web they've they've uh, you know invested in this in this uh, one thing though after i listened to all this presentation in in the social business track what i what i thought and yes okay so a lot of interesting case studies a lot of interesting ideas and keynotes but nothing substantially new so there were the same technology used maybe in a slightly different way. A lot of times were carbon copies, uh, case studies, or you know strategies we've seen used already a lot of times. And I and I thought, about, mm, could it be that social media as we know it is is done? I mean, we can't push it any further, and probably should rethink it because I see all these tools we have at our disposal: Twitter and Facebook and this and that, QR codes. <clears throat> Uh, brands, consultants, um, individuals are using this tool in a certain way. And, uh, of course, then we have, you know, all our plans, strategic plans, business plans. And what I think is missing, you know, there is a gap that is still not filled. And is basically plugging all these metrics and all, all these tools into a framework that, you know, can make it meaningful for, you know, our objectives, our strategy. And yes, we are starting to see this, you know, but uh, it's still it's still not there yet. And I think, um, uh, like, pe- the role, for example, within organizations or, of, of people like you and me as strategic consultants that are probably the only one that till now spent enough time to really try to, you know, connect the dots, you know, in, on, on, with this, um, are going to be, well, I don't know, uh, fundamental, you know. Uh, we, we have all this mass of data, this behaviors, this interaction, and then we have excellent tools and software. Take HubSpot, take Salesforce, Radiant 6, no, actually, now they got acquired by Salesforce. We have this amazing analytical infrastructure, or even Google Analytics, huh? Um, but then, what are you going to do with all this data? You know, and until now we have seen, okay, um, there has been, at least in my opinion, a very uh, superficial uh, use of this data and, and, and how, you know, it, it, it plugged into the overall strategic uh, planning of, of brands and organizations. What, what do you think? Did you have the same, or are you thinking the same, or agree, disagree? I don't know. What do you, what do you say? You know, I, I just, I, I don't think, I think for us, you know, for you and me, for everyone who's listening to this podcast, you know, there's no real huge discovery to be made yeah, anymore I the about the use of social media for business. Um, I think, you know, we're sort of in, in the phase now where we're really trying to figure out how do we measure it? How do we um, allocate resources responsibly? Um, and, and I still believe, uh, you know, it's about listening, figuring out where the audience is, trying to connect with them in the native network where the conversation is occurring already rather than try to lure them somewhere where they're not and um, to, to get some understanding of what is being discussed in which network because I find when I do an audit you know people are talking about different things in Twitter than they are in Facebook than they are in LinkedIn than they are in some niche blog you know particularly in the B2B space uh, where I do a lot of work because um, you know people are reticent to have a conversation about their business if it's overly technical or full of industry jargon on Facebook or Twitter because they don't want to alienate their social relationships and their friends and family. So, you know, I'm I'm not going to talk about, you know, the radiology business on, you know, my Twitter feed or my, maybe on my Twitter feed, but certainly not on my Facebook, maybe in my LinkedIn. Uh, But I may actually be be holed up in some niche site somewhere, some bulletin board or 
some blog. And if you really aren't armed with that intelligence, you know, if you haven't done an audit, if you don't know, then you're chasing after, you know, customers that aren't there, you know, or a conversation that isn't there. Um, So I think, you know, and I think that's, at least in my experience as a consultant, that's the step most people miss. They just sort of rush forward onto social media without really listening first. And so I think, but I think if you listen and I think if you you put together a reasonable strategy with realistic expectations and I think if you uh, have a policy in place that's lawful and I think if people are trained in that policy, uh, I think you can, you can do a really good job with social. I think it's just another set of tools. I'm not saying that there's no value in it. I'm just saying, you know, there's, there's this gap, like you said, you know, maybe people and organizations are missing steps, you know, they, that are fundamental to get it right. Otherwise, you know, and I think there, there's a lot of work to, to be done. You know, I, I would have loved to see someone that, you know, was on stage and say, hey, you know what? We have filled this gap because we have done this, this, this and that. You know, we really did. Okay, you, you mentioned an audit, but, you know, I don't care if it was an audit or they used some other tactic, but, you know, to really understand the, the exact direction they should be moving on and um, and why, you know, and because they knew where they started from and where they wanted to get, you know. It, it all boils down, in a way, if you will, to common sense and good planning and good strategy and good execution, but it's still not there. You know what I mean? These are all things that are there, flying in the air, floating in the air, and but, yeah, so I think that is what... Um, uh, so after that, uh, in the in the separate room where Mike Mike Volpe was speaking, uh, Automatic was set up with a WordPress booth, mm-hmm. and um, it's funny because I was introduced to WordPress and thought it was the best thing. I still do think it's the best thing, and I've now, uh, as a as a consultant, moved a number of companies off of either legacy content management systems or uh, hard coded flat file websites to WordPress where I've hired the consultants and managed the process and made sure the features were in place and QC'd it and done that whole thing with e-commerce and everything. And, uh, and you know, I, I, I wound up in several instances switching horses mid-river. You know, that there's a saying in Russian, don't ever switch horses when you're crossing the stream. Stay on the same horse till you get across the stream. And, um, you know, what I, what I found was, you know... It's WordPress is a very desirable platform, and um, you know it's free, but it's free like a puppy. So you you get the puppy for free for Christmas, but you still have to feed it, you still have to take care of it, um, and you have to clean up after it. And you know my experience working with proprietary software is there's usually a, you know a legion. Of professional services, uh, you know, executives who are there to help you, and you pay for it, but you get service. And WordPress is sort of supported by, you know, I mean, I'll just say it, you know, an industry of hobbits and trolls, and you kind of feel like you're in Middle Earth when you're working on a WordPress site. And the reason I say troll is because you know it's 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 not uncommon, at least in my experience, to be halfway through a site and to start to be treated by the developer like you know. You better not screw around with them because if so, they're just going to, you know, cut off your kneecaps. And I mean, that wouldn't happen. <laughs> and you know, if you were working on, an, you know, the IBM platform or the Microsoft platform, you know, because it would be very easy to just change consultants. But there doesn't seem to be a level of professionalism with the WordPress development community that there is with the other proprietary platforms. Well, that's because you never work my, with my design team. <laughs> no, I mean, um, if I, what, I've, what I think is that WordPress is, is an awesome platform. I use it personally, I use it for my company, I use it for clients, uh, clients' projects, and... Um, I do think the problem is not WordPress. I, I do think the problem is, um, you know, our design agencies, for example, you know, they are not um, supporting well or professionally enough their clients. You know what I mean? And uh, I think as long as there is um, a professional approach to design, web design, you know, this kind of uh, problems can or difficulties can be overcome. But on the uh, uh, looking at WordPress, yeah, I agree. There is nothing like from WordPress, you know, from their from the company, from Automatic and stuff. You know, they're not offering that kind of support. They're they're leaving it open. It's an open source technology, so they 
leaving it open to the world and to the wide community. So you have also that downside. Sometimes you, you find people that are not um, that professional. But um, yeah, I think if you work with some agencies, they take that and they put it into a more professional way of working, if you will, then I think you you, you won't see many problems. I don't know. I actually talked to the guys in Automatic about this and they <laughs> kind of told me, yeah, we have the same problems. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just enough people out there to support it. And I said, well, what about you guys? They said, yeah, well, we, we can't even handle all the, all the demand we have. So we really sort of pick and choose if it's MTV, if it's Chevron, if it's a name brand, we'll support it with our people and we'll make it happen. Otherwise, they said, go to, you know, a website called Code Poets. And the truth is, you know, I, I don't want a poet. You know, that's a, that scares the hell out of me. You know, I want a business person who can of help course. me, you know, deliver a solution against a timeline. But here's the thing, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's difficult to scale for them. It's impossible to it's scale. It's impossible to scale. So as yeah. desirable as the platform is, and as much demand... What's going on? Hold on. This, this is a, hold on. Hi, honey. Okay, we're we're almost done recording this podcast, honey, and then we're going to go to another museum. Yes. Okay. Okay, but he wants to see Andrea. Okay, all right. Uh, all right, I'll make sure that Andrea doesn't leave. Okay, bye. That was, a, and this is a podcast, so you yeah. can do that. That was my wife. She's out <laughs> getting to- a toy for William. Yeah. And William wants to make sure he gets to see Andrea before he leaves. And he will. Okay, cool. Um, so anyways, I was just saying, you know, the, I think the demand outstrips the supply, and, uh, I w- you know, when you look at those organizations that are really killing it with WordPress, because there's a lot who are, they typically have the support in-house. So they ju- they actually, well, they, they, buy, they buy a troll or a hobbit and put them on salary. But you know? listen, isn't it the same thing looking at Facebook? I mean, Facebook, what it, about Facebook pages, let's say, okay? Facebook uh, offers this service. You can set up a Facebook There is page. a list on Facebook of the preferred vendors Plus, there's a couple of platform. There's three platform providers now, right? You've got Wildfire, you've got Buddy Media, and you got WooBox. Those three are all platforms that anybody, whether you can write code or not, can use. And, you know, there's a lot of disparity with how WordPress can be used. You know, it's not so uniform. You can go with either a theme. You can go with either plugins. I mean, you can achieve things different ways. And often, you know, I've, I've found in WordPress development, you can bring on a developer, go halfway through a project, and then it's not so easy for another developer to come and pick up what they've done because they, they have to reverse engineer it. So it's not as straightforward as you might think it is where, you know, you can change horses midstream. Hmm. Yeah, well, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, still, I, I, I kind of disagree because... I think the problem is not WordPress, you know. It's like what you use WordPress for or how you use it. Then, yeah, if you have been unlucky to find the right person that... But there are a lot of agencies. I'm not just talking about mine. We we do strategy, we do also web design. But there are a lot of agencies that... Well, so do I. But I mean, you know, I've got to staff these things. But, you know, there are a lot of agencies that are really, really professional. And they have... You know, their clients have nothing to complain uh, about. And, yeah, probably it's not standardized. Like, you know, there's not the body media of WordPress web design, let's say, or, you know, whatever the case is. Um, but, yeah, I think... Well, I appreciate your optimism. No, you, you're following me, right? I do, and I want, I want, you know, you got some good uh, so I dream out there. About, I, know. I, I dream about, you know, <laughs> maybe in future, WordPress is going to be widely adopted and trusted as a platform. Well, it is. As an, and, and it is. Also, the ecosystem around it. Well, right. there it's are the ecosystem. Of, the problem is the ecosystem. Yeah, I've just seen that. So yeah. I hope uh, that... You know, there's not going to be just trolls and hobbits around, but you know, also someone that. Um... Well, I mean, I like trolls and hobbits. I mean, you, have you seen the Hobbit? Is it <laughs> no, any yet. Good? I'm Did excited. You? No, but I love the book. So, I mean, oh yeah, okay. It's not like I have anything against Bilbo personally. <laughs> you know, I was just trying to get a website built on time with e-commerce. You know what I mean? Oh god. Okay. <laughs> well, I think uh, I think you know. We're gosh, we're over an hour. What else yeah. do we have to say? I, I have to say that it was great to see you again and in real world. Likewise. It's, uh, you are a very good and dear friend and uh, a great, fantastic 
experienced professional and I'm I'm happy. I'm happy every time I see you. I'm happy we sat down, we talked. Me too. We, Always we, a delight. You know, we talk. And I, I hope, you know, also the listener could get some value out of this. You know, it's it's pretty much like this every time we meet. So, But this time we're recording. So we should do maybe this more often. What do you think? Definitely. You know, if we're not in the same place in the real world, maybe we could do it online. Well, let's get in the same place. It's fun, man. I like to travel. <laughs> you like to travel. So yeah. <laughs> okay. Sounds like a plan. All right. That's over and out. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at ontherecord, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com. On the Record Online is hosted by Eric Schwartzman, an independent online communications consultant whose clients include the U.S. Department of State, the United States Marine Corps, the U.S. Embassy of Greece, the Government of Singapore, Johnson & Johnson, Toyota, Southern California Edison, the Environmental Defense Fund, and dozens of small to medium-sized organizations. For information about engaging Eric Schwartzman as a speaker, social media trainer, or digital strategist, visit www.ericschwartzman.com or send email to eric at ericschwartzman.com.